Over the last six weeks, we have studied about Moses. We've been talking about Moses in our series. This is the final week of Press Pause. We've been talking about how God steps into our ordinary days with an extraordinary plan. And uh, what we have seen how, is how Moses tried to do what he thought God wanted him to do, but he made a mess of things. You ever done that before? Where you made a mess of things? And consequently, this caused him to run for his life and spend 40 years on the backside of nowhere in the desert of Midian. But what we did is we picked up the story in Exodus 3. So that was kind of the backstory, and this whole series has been about Exodus 3 and now a little bit of chapter 4 as well. So let's, let's take a look at it. We're going to read through the story just as a review, and then we're going to talk a little bit and uh, then get out of here and head off to, uh, to the habit today. <clears throat> let's read it. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I must go and see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. The cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending, what's that word? You to Pharaoh. I am sending you to Pharaoh. You, Moses, must lead my people. So God calls Moses, and what does Moses do in verse 11? But Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out? And so God answered, he said, I will be with you, and this will be your sign, that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me at this very mountain. You're going to come right back to this place. So God promises the outcome. I mean, that's basically what he's doing. He's giving him a thumbnail sketch. He's saying, it's going to happen. The people that are going to be freed are coming back to worship me right here. You're going to be free from Egypt. Notice what happens. Moses protested again. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. And then God outlines his plan. He, he unpacks this little thumbnail sketch that he already gave. Now he unpacks and he gives some details. Verse 16, God says, now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely. I've seen how the Egyptians are treating you. I promised to rescue you from your oppression. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And the elders of Israel will accept your message. Then you and the elders must go to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, and tell him, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand forces him. So I will strike the Egyptians performing all kinds of miracles among them, then at last he will let you go. 
So God gives Moses the entire plan. And what does Moses do in verse 1 of Exodus 4? But Moses, read that with me, protested again. That's three times that it says that protested. Interesting little side note here. Do you know who wrote the book of Exodus? Moses. He's confessing on himself. That's how I, I really think that the Bible really ha- I mean, these, these are real people. I mean, who would, who would admit in writing that you were protesting against God? Three times, right? This was a real deal. This really happened. Moses protested again. Have you ever noticed that trusting God's plan is easy except when the plan isn't easy, right? I mean, think about it. When the plan isn't easy, <laughs> it's easy to question the plan, right? I mean, have you ever questioned God? I mean, not, not questioning if God is speaking to you, but literally second-guessing God. Have you ever questioned what God is telling you to do? Facing situations that are hard and feeling like you got to catch your breath can cause you to question what God is telling you to do. Difficult circumstances that made me question my calling, things that make me wonder if God's purpose for my life has changed all of a sudden. Have you ever wondered if God knows what he's doing? Have you ever wondered if God really has your best interest in mind? I have. Honestly, I've questioned God more often than I'd like to admit to you today. I mean, I've even found myself saying that I didn't care what the purpose was. You know, when when God says, I'm doing this because of this, I've even found myself saying, I don't really care what you're doing. Because I don't like what I'm going through. I don't like what I'm feeling. I don't like what I'm facing right now. I just want it to end. God, I'm done. I know you're not done, but I'm done. Can I just get off this ride? Get off this merry-go-round? Ever been there? With tears you ask why God would have you go through this. I mean, come on. The, the cliches in church world, the cliches of Christianity They get thrown all the time. Oh, well, God knows what he's doing. Really? It doesn't feel like it. Well, God's going to get you through it. I don't want to go through it. Well, God's going to help you as you go through it. I don't really feel any help. I'm done. Why is Moses protesting what God is asking? That was a, that was a question that I came up with the last couple of weeks. Why is he protesting so hard against? Because if you remember, he thought he was going to be used by God. In fact, he like tried to jumpstart the plan, and, and he went to the defense of a Hebrew guy. He thought, hey, I'm the man. I'm the leader. God's going to use me. I'm going to stand up for this guy. And what did he do? He killed this Egyptian. He hit his body in the sand. He had to run for his life. But he was going for it initially, and now he's like, no, I don't know. I don't want this. Why is he protesting? I think because Moses is dealing with insecurity, inferiority, and uncertainty. And those are things that we deal with. 
in regards to God's plan for his life, just like Moses, we're afraid and we are hesitant about what God wants to do in our lives. Right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. There are times when his plan is so big that it takes your breath. Or there are times when his plan seems so hard that you're not sure you want to go. There, there are times that his plan is so inconvenient and uncomfortable that you're not sure you want in. There are times when his plan calls for things from you, for you to be involved in ways that you're not sure you can handle. Or maybe that you're not, you don't think you're equipped for or prepared for. We face these feelings. Maybe you're facing that now in your life. God is calling you to do something. God is calling you to go somewhere. God is calling you to get involved in what he wants to do in your life. But you're afraid and you're, and you're hesitant. And what do we do? We do what Moses did. We protest. Look at it again, verse 1. But Moses protested again. Notice the question. What if they, don't, they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? What is he doing? He's asking the what if questions. That's exactly what we do. What if? Come on, say that with me. What if? God is telling you to do something. You say, hey, yeah, okay, but what if? But what if this happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? What if? That's our usual response when we're afraid, when we feel inadequate for the task. I wonder how many what ifs have kept us from applying for that job that we always wanted. How many what ifs caused us to not ask that person out on a date? How many what ifs caused us to not talk to our boss about that promotion or that raise? How many what ifs caused us to not try to get into that school? How many what ifs caused us to not do what God is asking us to do? I wonder how many what ifs have caused us, have kept us back in life. We're, way, we're asking way too many what ifs, friends. The Lord Ask Moses a question. Isn't it interesting that God answers a question with a question? That's just like God, isn't it? <laughs> I love this. And, I, and so often we read right past it with this phrase right here. Oh, man, this is huge. God asked him a question. What is that in your hand? So God answers the what if question with a what is question. <laughs> what is that in your hand? And Moses says... Ah, this? Just a shepherd's staff. Hmm. I, I brought a somewhat of a shepherd's staff. I picked this up in Colorado about um, probably 10 years ago. Rode all the way home on the top of our sequoia from Colorado. And I've always thought that this reminds me, I don't know what his staff would have been like, but it kind of reminds me of what it would have been like. Just a shepherd's staff. I mean, you may be thinking, well, it's just a stick. It's just a, it's just a branch, right? But to Moses, it was a tool. Because what was he? Help me out. He was a shepherd. He was shepherding sheep. And so this staff is a shepherd's staff. It's, it's a tool. 
Uh, and a staff, a shepherd's staff, provided a couple of different things. I, I actually Googled it this week. I was just curious what, you know, how do shepherds use. And there's really three things, three primary things that a staff is used for, even in current day, modern day. A staff is used to provide stability for a shepherd, like a walking stick, which makes sense. I mean, they're, they're climbing cliff areas, rocky terrain, hillsides. Sometimes they might get tired. They need something to lean on because they're watching the sheep. So this, this provides stability. But a staff is also used as a weapon. If you are in martial arts, you know what we would call this is a bow, right? And it's used to defend against predators that would attack the sheep. But the staff is also used to help the sheep stay on the path. Because sheep have a tendency to kind of <laughs> wander. They're stragglers. And so the shepherd would use the staff. Now, I don't have the, the crook or the hook of a shepherd's staff. And, and you see that a lot in pictures and images. But, but the shepherd would use this, the staff to kind of move the sheep over and to get them back into position where they should be back on the path, the safe area. You might even whap the sheep on the rear, you know, to get them to realize, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere I shouldn't be. I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. I'm eating something I shouldn't be eating. I, I got to change my, my direction. I've got to change my action. I've got to change my behavior. So I'm sure that Moses was very familiar with this staff. This was something that he was good at using. He was very comfortable. He'd, he'd already used this. That's important for us to understand today. You'll see why. See, I think God was indicating something else. See, more than, more than just a tool, this staff was highlighting something that God was doing in Moses' life. In fact, it was kind of making Moses aware of something that God had been doing for a while. It was an indicator of experience that God was giving Moses. The staff was a sign of how God had already been preparing him to do what God was calling him to do. I mean, think about it. You don't need a shepherd's staff unless you're a what? Shepherd. Hmm, interesting. So, Moses wasn't a shepherd until God made him a shepherd. I mean, we've talked throughout this series, and if you haven't listened to it, you may want to go back into our podcast and listen to the weeks prior. But Moses ran as a fugitive to Midian, where he arrived. And the first thing that happened were some shepherdesses were being bullied by some men. And so in verse 17 of chapter 2, Moses jumps up and rescued the girls from the shepherds, and then he drew water for their flock. Stop. I want to ask you a question. Was he a shepherd then? No. He had just run from Egypt. He had been trained in Pharaoh's household. He could literally be called a prince of Egypt. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. So he was not a trained shepherd. He was trained in a lot of other, other areas, and it's interesting that he's the one that wrote the first five books of the Old Testament Jewish scriptures, Moses, the Torah. Isn't it interesting that he was trained in writing where? Egypt. Isn't that interesting? So, so he's trained in a lot of different areas, but not in shepherding. Not in knowing the desert. Not in knowing where to find water, where to find safe places in the desert. He had no experience of that. 
So these girls were saved, rescued. When their father heard about it, he invited Moses over for dinner. And we take a look in Exodus 2.21. Moses accepted the invitation and he settled down there. And in time, Jethro gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. So you see how events just kind of take place, right? This is over a period of time. We don't know how long the time, but over a period of time. We do know that up to Exodus chapter 3, 40 years had taken place between the time he had run for his life and now God was speaking through the bush. And what was Moses doing when God spoke to him through the bush? He was shepherding. He was doing his job as a shepherd for his father-in-law, learning how to use his shepherd's staff. Isn't that interesting? So maybe God is asking you a question today. Maybe God is asking you, what's in your hand? What's in your life right now that shows how God has been preparing you? What in, what in your life shows the experience that God has already given you? A lot of times people will come to me and say, Bart, I want to be used by God. How do you think God wants to use me? And my first response always is, well, how is he using you now? Oh, well, he's not. I say, really? So you don't have any gifts, any talents, any relationships, any involvement anywhere in your life. Oh, well, of course I do. Could it be that God has already prepared you for the way that he wants to use you? In fact, could it be that he's preparing you right now with the things that you're going through, the people that you're facing, the people that you're dealing with on a regular basis, the experiences you're having? Could it be that God is preparing you for something? What's in your hand? Maybe the best thing you could do today is to, after habit, of course, is to go home, take a nap because you're going to be tired after eating all that food. And then maybe the afternoon, just kind of think about what's in my hand, what's in my life right now that quite possibly God has there for a reason. Hmm. Take a look back and see how God has been preparing you in all that you've been going through so that he can work through your life. The enemy of your soul, Satan, he wants to keep you back. He wants to keep you off track. He, he doesn't want you moving forward in God's plan for your life. In fact, Satan wants you to stall out. He, he doesn't want you um, to move forward. He wants to fill your life with insecurity and uncertainty. But God, I believe God, is speaking to some of us today. And he's saying, don't underestimate what you already have in your life. Don't underestimate what God has already given you. Don't underestimate how God has already prepared you for what he wants to do through your life. The feelings you have, the things you have faced are all culminating for a reason. I believe that. So what does God say to Moses? What's in your hand? Moses said, a shepherd's staff. We pick up the story in verse 3. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. 
Why did he have him throw it on the ground? I don't have any proof for this. This is just a thought. I was rereading this passage this morning at about 7 a.m., just kind of reviewing the scripture. And a thought just crossed my mind. What was so special about this ground? Remember, God said, take off your shoes, take off your sandals because you are on holy ground. Ooh, man, that could be a whole sermon in itself, right? Take what God has already put in your life and throw it down on holy ground so that I can do something supernatural and miraculous because that's what happens. Anyway, that's a whole other study. So Moses threw down the staff, turned, it turned into a snake. And that gives us the eebie-jeebies right there, right? It's like, wow. Moses jumps back. How many of you would jump back if this stick, if I threw it down right now and that stick became a snake? How many of you, come on now, come on. How many of you would jump back? Yeah, I would too, right? And look what God tells him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. <laughs> that's, that's quite a miracle, isn't it? that God would turn this back into a staff. And then he says to him, perform this sign, then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has really appeared to you. And then to make his point, we fast forward down to verse 17. The last thing that God says to Moses in this encounter, look what God says. Take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Take your shepherd's staff. I want you to get this down. One point is all we're pushing for today. God wants to use what's in my life for his plan. God wants to use what's in my life for his plan. There's something that's already in your life that God wants to use. God knows what's going on. God has a plan all along. God is good. God is able. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he wants to do through your life, and he has already been preparing you for that. Moses tells his father-in-law what he's going to do in the account, and then we read in verse 20 that Moses took his wife and his sons and headed to the land of of Egypt. Moses is a different person now. He's no longer protesting. He's no longer saying, hey, hey, get somebody else. No. He grabs his family and he says, we're on the move. Dad-in-law, love you, man. I'm taking my kids and my family and my wife. We're going to Egypt. We're going to confront Pharaoh. Wow. Someone who said yes to God's plan. He, he not only communicates it to the people that he's close to, but he takes action. He doesn't stop and pray about it some more. He knows that God has spoken to him and he begins to move on it. He knows that God wants to use him. He knows that God is going to use him in Egypt. And then there's this glimpse of something so important. It's such a short phrase and we miss it. Oh man, we miss it. Look at the end of verse 20. Read it with me. In his hand, Moses, in his hand, he carried the staff of God. Do you guys see it? Do you see the change? Come on now, who wrote this? Moses, he wrote this. Do you see the change? What did he call this to begin with? A shepherd's staff. Now what is he calling this? The staff of God. 
revealing God's presence, revealing God's power, God's purpose. Moses is saying, I, I am your leader, God, and I am taking this staff that, you, that, that I have had a part of my life for all of these many years as a shepherd, I am taking this that's a part of my life that you have now said I want to use it. And I'm opening it up to you. And I'm saying, God, you use this to accomplish your plan through me. God wants to use what's in Moses' life. Think about that. I mean, come on, think about that. He was a murderer. All too often, we have excuses and protests to God. God, I'm not, I can't do it. I, you know, I'm, I'm not really good at talking to people. I, I, you know, I've got some stuff in my background. Have, you got murder in your background? Because if not, if it falls short of murder, God can still use you. Isn't that amazing? God wants to use what's in Moses' life to accomplish his plan. Now, there's another guy in the New Testament that would follow this example as well. We talked a little bit about him last week, so I won't um, spend too much time on it. But the Apostle Paul had murder in his background. In fact, he had multiple murders probably in his background, executions. And yet, look at what Paul writes. The Apostle Paul writes this verse, and just think through the lens of Moses. Paul says, God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So Bart, are you saying that God caused all of these events in Moses' life to bring him to this point? Maybe. Well, okay, are you saying that God can use all of these events to bring about his purpose in his life? Absolutely. You mean that God can use even our bad choices to bring about his purpose in our life? Most definitely. Hmm. So, so Paul, the Apostle Paul, a.k.a. Saul of Tarsus, if you want to know in the New Testament, he started out with a different name. Paul is just the, the Greek version of his name. But Paul was born in the city of Tarsus, one of the wealthiest cities in Asia Minor in that region, a cosmopolitan city that had merchants and scholars and intellectuals, had one of the biggest universities of the time uh, of the world in that time. And, and growing up in this environment, get this, Paul learned to speak Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. He was multilingual. And at the age of 13, I underlined 13, he was sent to Jerusalem to pursue a religious seminary education. He studied under Gamaliel for seven years and received the equivalent of two PhDs in theology. It's been said that by the age of 21, that Saul of Tarsus was the most educated Jew in Palestine. 
So he was raised a Jew, he was trained as a Pharisee, became a violent persecutor of the early church, but one day his life was changed forever, literally changing his name from Saul to that Greek equivalent, Paul. Because of his religious zeal, he he went against the Jesus movement, the church, and he had the authority from Jewish leaders to squelch it. He was taking on the persecution all over the area. In fact, he traveled 150 miles north to Damascus pursuing followers of Jesus. Nothing was going to keep him from taking them down. In Acts chapter 9, it says, as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. If you want to know what this is, this is Paul's burning bush. (laughs) He fell to the ground. He heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why Are you persecuted? Isn't it interesting that when Moses came to the bush, God repeated his name twice? And here we have Saul seeing this light and God repeats his name twice. Can I tell you something? If God ever repeats your name twice, something's going to happen, right? Something big is going to take place in your life. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Jesus came rushing into Saul's life without permission. I love this. And so Paul, Saul, writes about how his life is turned upside down in Galatians 1. You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion. How I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me. Oh, wait, back that up. Before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. And it pleased him to reveal his son to me. Why? So that I would re- proclaim the good news about Jesus. And for the rest of his life, (laughs) Paul travels all over the known world sharing the message of Jesus who weren't looking for Jesus. Don't, Don't miss this. Paul brings the message that he was trying to destroy to people who had never heard it. Every city he went to, he planted small groups of believers. Ecclesia. Paul planted the very church he was trying to stop all over the Mediterranean rim and his letters and writings like we talked about last week became almost half of the New Testament. So look at 1 Corinthians 15 because in this letter that he wrote to believers, followers of Jesus in the city of Corinth, Paul makes some statements that I think were the reality that Moses had way back in the Old Testament. Take a look. Paul says, I write, I pass on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Just as the scriptures said, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James. By the way, that's James, the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. You've heard me say it before. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God? James grew up in Jesus' home. What would it take for you to believe that your brother was the son of God. James believed. In fact, he saw the risen Christ. 
later by all the apostles. And look at what Paul says. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Where did he see him? On the road to Damascus. He experienced Jesus in such a way that it changed his life. Paul says, for I am the least of all apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. But whatever I am now, wait, wait, what? Whatever I am now, what is that? A murderer. A persecutor. Whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me. It was not I, but God who was working through me by his grace. Bottom line, no matter what you have in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, you and I need to realize God wants to use what's in my life for his plan. It's true. God wants to use what's in my life for his plan. And the question that you and I need to ask ourselves is this. God is speaking. Will I respond? God is speaking. Will I respond? Would you bow your heads?